Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I'm Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Brunch, Brian Christofferson. Here on Tuesday, September 6th, Nebraska has its first win in, uh, what, the last eight games? It is a, uh, you know, it was a comfortable win. It didn't feel comfortable at halftime. At halftime. BC's smirking over there. He, I don't know if he agreed with that description of comfortable or not. Brian, was that fair? Uh, it, not real comfortable. I mean, yeah, you, I know what you're getting at. The, but with with two minutes left, it was comfortable. But with let's 10 put minutes, this in no. let's put this in Brunt's parlance. Did it scroll better than it felt or than it looked? Oh, way better. I, I don't know that this is Nebraska at Penn State 2017. Uh, Jack stole late touchdown to cut it to 12 in a game they lost by 50, really. The scroll Hall of Fame submission of <laughs> yeah, the last five it's, years. It's not in that that's a, that's a first ballot scroller, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's a, it was definitely a good scroller. There's no question. All right, so Nebraska's one and one They move into this week against Georgia Southern. This was their three-game runway leading up to the Oklahoma game that uh, we will dive into when that week happens. But before we get into Georgia Southern or, or what the coaches had to say after the the North Dakota game, both of you guys tend to go back and rewatch games after you watch them live in person in the press box. Did did either of you do that this week? And if so, did it did you notice anything you missed perhaps while you're sitting there in the press box? Because sometimes a game can look a lot different on television than it does when you're there in Memorial Stadium. Uh, I have watched. I haven't watched it yet. Um, it's All still right. early, still early in the week. That's like a Wednesday night. At That's like, not true. Sometimes you're doing it on Sunday, two thirty a.m. on Wednesday morning. Um, right. No, and BC's I, he's going to say he hasn't watched it yet either, right? No, I watched. I did watch it most of it back. Okay. And one I, out of two. One and, out of two. All right. And then I watched the uh, BTN sixty minute version, which is uh, I love that. That's like what I would have done in college, the Cliff Notes. So um, I guess. My takeaway, if you want a positive one that I didn't feel during the game, was the offense had a actually a better grip on things, I think, than it seemed at halftime. Like, I knew they had limited snaps, but you're so focused on it. Seven to seven, there's booing, there's panic in the stadium. What the heck's going on? That sometimes you got to step back. And I think Whipple today, he's, he's like, I mean, what the stink? We had 23 snaps. And if our kicker makes a 37-yarder, we had 10 points on that. And he was talking about how after that missed field goal, you know, there's seven minutes left in the half, and they go over the sideline, and they're thinking they had a pretty good drive, should have been points on the board. Let's get the ball back. We'll score again before the half, and you get it to start the third. And the, then you give up a drive that takes the entire clock off. So um, I think the offense, um, obviously the sack where, where Teddy got beat, hurt a lot um, after they had good field position. But I think the offense was in better standing throughout the game than it seemed until late. You know, I, I feel like they had a better control of it than we thought. Brunt's kind of your takeaways from that game. I mean, do they, does what BC kind of said there make sense that when you view it from the lens of, okay, you missed that field goal. You think you're going to get the ball back because there's seven minutes left in the half and you don't. Does it sort of change how you feel about the offensive performance in the first half? Yeah, I think, I think BC's on right on there. I mean, I, I think 
offensively, they were a little bit more in control. I think when you start digging into the numbers on defense and just the the early missed tackles, I think that's that's where my concern lies. I mean, I think if if they cleaned up the tackling a little bit in the first half, I think that's a completely different game. Um, you know, again, Nebraska's defense struggled to get off the field on third down, and you know, you you had what was what could have been like a two minute drive turned into like a seven minute drive to open the game. And that kind of set the tone for what Brian's talking about. And, you know, I, I think, I think they're missing Nick Henrich. I think that they are, you know, kind of starved a little bit for leaders in certain spots to get guys in the right place. I mean, I, I think it was pretty common to see guys getting lined up late calls coming in late uh against North Dakota again and that that's got to change because you know teams like Oklahoma kill you on stuff like that so that that side of the ball to me is more of the concern I mean you, you kind of start to see them lean a little bit late but um they, they got to clean up the tackling that's the biggest thing to me is you know if you can they've had guys where they need to be but the what everybody's favorite phrase leaky yards um that that's hurt him so far, and you, and you, I mean they're giving up over four yards of carry on first down, and that that's a tough place to live. Yeah, I I'm curious did did either Frost or Eric Shenander when they talked about the tackling because I know both more than likely were asked about it this week. Did either seem concerned or does this is this like a you know an early season thing where they get less live action in fall camp, so they have to sort of build into it. It does feel noticeably worse than last season, um, if, if that makes sense. But I, I don't have any real way to quantify that. No, it, I think you're right. I mean, I, they've talked about it. I mean, that's why they're going more ones versus ones this week is because I think the speed of some of the starters that they've encountered or maybe not what they're the look that they're getting in practice from the the scout team. So they're, they're doing that. I think there's a a piece of it that's, you know, early season, not tackling a ton um, in, in in fall camp. But I mean, it's also, you know, sometimes errors of aggression too. I mean, you've, you've seen a lot of instances where guys have just overrun plays or played with bad leverage. And that to me is more of a, I, that feels more like an early season issue versus some bigger thing, but it's also, you know, Ben, everybody's taking a turn. It's not just the, the new guys that, that are doing it. It's, it's veterans that are doing it. I think Luke Reimer, if he was being honest, would probably say he hasn't tackled particularly well early in the season. So they got to get that cleaned up. But I mean, they're working on it, but um, you know, I, I think there's kind of only so much you can do at practice because you don't want, you know, Ernest Hausman diving at Anthony Grant's knees and stuff like that. BC. Yeah, I, I, do think it's a real concern. I think the one V ones is the answer of what they think about it, how they need to really attack this issue. And um, that's, that's going to be the saving grace for this defense. If they're going to figure it out is that they become a, a squad that, you know, is a little bit sure in some of those spots. Like I think of the specific examples, Bruns was hitting on it, but it was that third play of the game. It was third and nine. And Miles Farmer, it wasn't the easiest tackle ever because the guy did have some space on both sides to work with, so I'll give Farmer that. But that's one of those plays where you want your veteran to, to make that stop two yards short of the sticks. It's a two-minute drive. Your offense is right out there. 
North Dakota didn't score, but they accomplished a whole lot in that drive because it set the tenor of this was going to be keep away and Nebraska continued to play into that. Uh, and then there's an example later in the game on the other side of that where Phelan Sanford actually on a, it was about a third and nine also got the guy down a yard or two short. Um, and that was a huge play. I mean, you, cause you just, the way this game was playing. So th- that's going to be the thing for this defense. I think some of their warts are going to be there throughout, but you've got to be in those moments. We talk about opportunities. When we talk about opportunistic defenses, a lot of the time it's about turnovers and stuff like that. I think you might say third and eight or nine, they got to be that squad that in those moments, they know where the sticks are and they know how to, to, to make that play a yard short, you know, to get off the field. Otherwise it's going to be a long year. And to, to BC's point too, it, it becomes a field position thing. And Nebraska under Scott Frost has gotten crushed in field position. We got close week after week after week. And that first drive is a perfect example where you get off the field on third down early in that possession. You're, you're probably starting at worst at like your own 35, 40 yard line. But because they were able to string together some more plays, kill some more clock, then all of a sudden Nebraska takes over deep in their own territory and their their backs are against the wall. So, I mean, that that's kind of the, I guess, the hidden portion of, of those types of plays, too, is it's not just, you know, points. But even when they don't get points, it's just as effective and kind of controlling the game and, you know, making your offense having to work that much harder. Uh, I, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I'm fairly certain the last time I looked at them, teams or the first two teams Nebraska played, North Dakota, Northwestern, converted at a 40% clip combined uh, in those first two games on third down. I think what is concerning to me is that they almost equally have had success when it's third and long as they have when it's third and short. Like it's just, it, it, it's one thing if, okay, a team's able to consistently get into third and short and they're able to win up front, and, you know, sometimes there's not a whole lot you can do about that. But Nebraska's given up a surprisingly high amount of first downs this year where they've had the team that they want in that position at third and long. And that's the sort of thing that, you don't. those are a lot more backbreaking. I mean, Brunch, you, you nailed it with the, the field position. Even if you're playing this bend don't break style that they've kind of really fell into these last few years, the amount of time of possession, the amount of plays, the amount you know spent on the field when it's third and nine and you can't get off of it, and they had another one, uh, another longer one during the game as well. It's just it becomes this sort of it will catch up with you issue, and I think that's what happened against Northwestern in the fourth quarter, you know it caught up with them. Your defense has been on the field a lot. They played a lot of snaps. They played a lot of minutes. They're not able to, uh, to turn things over. They're not able to set up their offense of a short field position, all those kinds of things. It, it just really sort of feels like Nebraska's defense right now can't hang its hat on one thing that they've done. Well, they're not tackling. Well, they're not generating pressure. They're not stopping the run. Teams are completing a high percentage of passes against them. Uh, that's, you know, we've seen bad defensive play in the last five years. I mean, we you know it when you see it. It's just sort of alarming that there's nothing. I mean, they're not forcing turnovers. They're not tipping passes. Like, there's not a lot going right on the defensive side of the ball right now. I mean, they're they're one and one, and, and that is what it is. But it, just about every metric is 
second down for Nebraska's defense. Like that's that's a big concern. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you can't if you can't stop the run against Northwestern and North Dakota, it doesn't bode well. I mean, there's going to be a lot uh, stiffer competition ahead, and I think they're giving up 195 yards per game right now, rushing the football. Is that the stat? Um, and and so it 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 just doesn't feel like. I mean, even in the first half, I felt like North Dakota was too easily getting three or four yard runs. I know on the seven minute drive, they had a 19 yard run, a 10 yard run, a seven yard run. I mean, it, it, half of the yardage of that 80 yard drive came on four runs, uh, just solid chunks. And then to the other point, they actually then had a few good early downs and they had North Dakota on that third and 12. And that was the pass. I think it was right in front of Gifford who played pretty well, I'd say for a younger guy, he's really grown on the job. So I don't want to, he's, he's, he's coming along. Uh, but it was a little short of the first down should have been reviewed. But nonetheless, it was too easy. It was just like a pitch and catch third and 12, where the hard work they had actually done in the early downs, they're not getting the payoff on the money down. So, And yet the lack of pass rush is still a concern. I know Garrett got home for the big play and O'Shawn got his too. Maybe that starts feeding them a little bit more and you, you, you go off of that. But um, it doesn't feel like a group that right now on third and long, you're expecting like, I don't think the QB is back there just necessarily expecting, I got to get rid of this thing in a hurry. Yeah. Uh, do you, it's a good thing, bad thing uh, with Georgia Southern coming to town that this is more of a passing attack than what Nebraska's seen the last two weeks. Obviously, the completion percentage against has been high, but it feels to me more than anything, a lot of those have come against uh, Nebraska's linebackers and safeties having to cover in the slot out of the backfield or against tight ends. Yeah, it, it's interesting. Like Ty Robinson was talking yesterday that, you know, they, they know that they're going to be facing more of, a, of an error-based attack. But he actually talked about, you know, they can't get complacent with the run game because that's when you just get creased and, and you give up big plays. But it, it's going to be a different test. And, and I think, you know, from what we saw against Northwestern especially, I mean, that, that linebacker group was not particularly good in coverage at all. Um, you know, the safeties were have been challenged, I think, with, you know, you, you've got Marcus Buford, who I think has played okay, but, you know, you, you you seem like there's some issues with getting lined up, being in the right spot, communication. I think that's where the secondary and the linebacker group is going to be tested a lot this week is, you know, can we be in the right call? Can we, can we match personnel well? And because it, even the against Northwestern, I think a lot of the, the completions that they had, it, it was a guy breaking open because, you know, you had guys in the wrong spot. So I, I think that's something to watch this week, and especially with Nick Hendricks probably out again, is, is how do you get lined up? And, you know, you, you, you need to be disciplined against a, a team like this because they can, they can hit you for some big plays. Before we dive over to the offensive side, I – I want to spend at least a minute or two here on special teams. Where where do you think Nebraska's at right now relative to the dumpster fire that was set out to see last year that was 2021 special teams? Two games in, you've seen Brian Buschini. Timmy Bleakroad now has two field goal attempts. Nebraska's kicked it off. Nebraska's punted. Nebraska's returned. Well, I don't know. They haven't returned a punt yet. That's one thing they haven't done. Um, where, where is special teams right now for you, Brian Christopherson? 
Um, it's it's better than it was, but there's still like two or three things every game that intercept the good stuff that's happening sort of in the background. Like I feel like 90 to 95% of the operation is pretty solid and you feel like it's in, it's really relieving to have a, for Husker fans to have a punter go out there and you just know it's coming off his foot. Well, I mean, that's the first part. So that's a big issue that's off the table and bleak road. I know that was a disappointing first miss, but that was a huge second kick for him. I think for his confidence to come in and hit a long shot you know, and get those three. So that maybe that helps him going forward, but they're still struggling at some basic things like in kick return, um, sort of when to come out with it, when to fair catch it. It feels like more Nebraska more than more teams. I watch in college football get stuck on their own 18 yard line somehow off of a, a kick return. And then even when you do a really good thing where you block a punt, like Javen Wright does, you, you, you go and try it. Someone tries to biff it up, you know, and it's just like, what the stink are you doing? Like, it's like, well, you just made a good play. Go celebrate lay low. It's all enjoy that. Don't, don't try to do more than that. So some of that stuff just makes you scratch your head. The squib real quick. I didn't have a problem with what they were trying to do. Um, Cause they were kicking in the 50 and I'm, they're thinking we got a 15 yard run up on them we can squib this down, probably, you know, get a pretty easy tackle on them around the 15 or 20 yard line. But even that stuff, it's like, they don't execute it. You know, like they have, maybe they have a good idea in theory, but it's just as Scott Frost said, if it was a penalty kick, he would hit the goalie in the face, which is a very accurate summation of that. Um, So I was relieved as actually that that's what they weren't trying to like (laughs) hit it off the guy and get a fumble. It was just a missed kick. So you, that's a player error, but I say it's a great a great up than it was, but it's still like you're still not comfortable. C plus right now. I don't know. The, Is that it, fair? Brendan Frankie essentially did the thing where you you're trying to hit through a, a small hole in the trees, and he just absolutely <laughs> drilled. He just drilled the tree. Like yeah. Um, I would say it's, I'm at about a C. I I think it's uh, they've been okay. Um, but you know, there's, there's definitely room for improvement. I, the, the decisions that they've made about personnel in terms of kicker and punter have been good. All right. That's a, that's a good special teams breakdown. Let's move over to the offense. Nebraska put up 38 points. Um, Anthony Grant kind of, we'll just start there. Anthony Grant was the star of the day. He's been really good for Nebraska, 200 yard performances, It definitely feels like it's his job uh, at this point in time. We'll see what it looks like against some other defenses and if Nebraska's not able to get that kind of push. I mean, he really sort of Houdini'd his way to 189 yards against North Dakota. And I thought, you know, Teddy Prohaska sort of admitted that too. I mean, he kind of said, you know, like we weren't necessarily always creating the holes. He sort of created a lot of it out of thin air. Are you at the point now, either one of you will go brunch here. Brunch, are you at the point where you're comfortable in saying that Anthony Grant is this team starting running back until further notice? I mean, yeah, I, I am. I, I don't. I, I, well, I, look, you, you laugh, but. I know, I for know. For whatever reason, Nebraska's decision makers don't seem to be as affirmative on it. No. He, and we have a relatively four-year history now of. Uh, interesting running back decisions throughout time. 
So I, I thought it was a fair question. No, I, I was laughing at the conversation that's out there about, you know, where Ramir Johnson is, which is an interesting conversation. Uh, you know, I, I would say through two games, you know, Anthony Grant is, has been Nebraska's best running back since what Trey Bryant with, with that kind of explosiveness. So, you know, that, I, I think it, it just sets up well for him to be the bell cow. He's shown he can do it. I think especially with the way he runs later in games, it sets up pretty well uh, for, for him getting in there and, and kind of pounding between the tackles and then finding his way uh, for bigger runs. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any question that, that he's um, the starter. It's just a matter of who you're going to pair with him. Cause I think you do need an AJ Allen or, you know, whomever to kind of emerge and be that second guy. Uh, I, I, you know, it's kind of like Anthony Grant has been everything that you would have hoped and more. And I don't know that you would really say that about too many of the other transfers that are on Nebraska's roster right now. BC, what, what do you kind of think of uh, Nebraska's personnel usage so far and what we've seen from guys like Anthony Grant, Trey Palmer, Marcus Washington, some of those transfer portal additions, KT Thompson as well. Yeah. Um, I don't mind most of the usage to this point. Um, you know, it would have been nice if that was a game Saturday where you had Love a better, bench. yeah, you had a better lead on the scoreboard, and obviously that helps morale of guys who've practiced hard and all that stuff. But it just wasn't. And I, I mentioned this to you guys in the press box. Gabe Irvin, I think, is a really good young player. But the bottom line is Anthony Grant was really excelling, and I understand sort of why they're kind of enamored with A.J. Allen, too, even just on the touches we've seen. He looks like he's the real deal. Brian Applewhite handpicked that guy and um, as a recruit, and I understand that. But they threw Gabe Irvin in for a couple plays, and this is where it's tough as a coach because they know what's out there. They know all the talk, and they've got these guys in their locker room who want to play, so you're trying to, like, we'll get you in the game, we'll get you in the game, and then you're in a stinking struggle of your life here with North Dakota late in the third quarter, and so you kind of probably want to stick with what you got and who's, you know, been, been out there. And uh, they bring Irvin in, and it wasn't really Gabe's fault. The play sort of got broke down, so he didn't get to do anything on his two touches or attempted touches. But it just felt like a wasted series where you're trying to throw a guy who was cold into the situation just to do it, and and it hurt Nebraska. And so I think Ramir, uh, with the whole Ramir thing, is uh, has shown he can be somebody who's going to matter, and I think he's going to pop up in this offense and make a play in some game, and everybody's going to say, see, I told you. But I also, I also get why um, – the guys they have out there right now have been the main guys. And um, I'd have a bigger problem or be more worried about the Ramir conversation. If I thought the running back and wide receiver were the biggest, were like big weak spots. They, uh, when we talk about Husker problems, those are not the first two positions that are even close to coming up for me right now. So um, that's why I'm not as worried about it as some. Brunch, what do you think of Casey Thompson two games in? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's played well enough to – I mean, I thought he played well enough against Northwestern to for them to win. Um, you know, I think he throws a good ball. I still I still am taken aback a little bit whenever I see a swing pass into the flat and it's on time and on target. It's it's a little – I'm still getting used to that. Um, you know, I, I I'm eager to see if he can do more with his feet, and I don't mean from just the standpoint of, like, designed runs. I think – 
you know, th- there might be some some yards there to be picked up, um, you know, as as the season goes along, if he wants to scramble a little bit. But, you know, I, I think for him, um, if the protection's good, I, I think they can get some stuff done. Um, you know, so I, I think I think he's kind of been what I expected him to be. I'm eager to see what he looks like in the next couple of weeks, um, especially that Oklahoma game. I think that's one that he's really got circled on his calendar, given everything. But, um, you know, I, I think the quarterback play has been steady enough that you'd like to see, you know, fewer turnovers. But um, that, that's probably my one quibble with his, his game so far was is just the, uh, the turnover, not not issues, but the, the way they popped up the first two games. Whipple, Whipple said an interesting thing. Uh, today about North Dakota um, he was surprised by how much they dropped guys um, like they were really not expecting that from um, what North Dakota has traditionally done they've been really an aggressive type of defense and it, it really was an adjustment they had to make to that um, so that that's part of it uh, th- that play where Thompson threw the pick he said um, obviously he didn't see the linebacker but that was a play you know, he meets with the quarterbacks and asks them, what do you like? What What do you feel good about? And that was a specific play that they were running there that Casey really felt good about. Um, so that was one of those. I mean, that's just the explanation for what happened. It's kind of interesting with some of that stuff. Um, but obviously, too, you need to give your QB an assist in the run game. Like, and they did, Anthony Grant did. But now can the O-line <laughs> be a bigger part of what's going on with those running backs where you don't feel like, it's just a guy making a play out of nothing because I don't know that you can make those plays out of nothing against certain teams. That's what I'm thinking. I, I yeah. think, I think too, Travis Vokalek being back will help him a ton. Yeah. I agree with that entirely. I, I think that opens up an option for Casey Thompson over the middle. Um, Borkercher's had a couple drops. He'll be the first to tell you he's had a couple drops. He had a nice touchdown catch. They got the ball to, to Chancellor Brewington as well, but there's no doubt that Travis Vokalek will make them a little bit more dangerous on offense. BC, you mentioned the offensive line, and I, I do want to get there. I, it kind of, in a lot of ways, like it feels like these are the pieces that they have, and they're just going to have to figure out if those guys can get incrementally better week to week to week. Outside of maybe Henry Lutovsky spelling Brock Bando, or an injury. I just don't know that we're going to see a lot of other guys on that offensive line. I mean, did you, did you feel like they got better from week one to week two? Was it more of the same or is it just too hard to tell given the way the two different games played out? Uh, I wouldn't say they got a lot better. I thought it was maybe hard to tell is the most fair answer, but um, I'm, I'm worried about that group. Um, that's my honest assessment. When I when we started off this podcast, I talked about how the offense had a better grip on the game. I wouldn't say that the O-line did. I would say Nebraska's sort of working around it a little bit, and that's a very scary spot to be in. Um, like, I think Nebraska has the type of personnel with the skilled guys, which is why it goes back to the least of my concerns is running back and receiver, where they can play pitch and catch and be kind of an exciting team. And they could probably cause a lot of headaches with some of those guys like Palmer and Washington and these guys, you know, Garcia Castaneda didn't even pop up in this game. And we know what he could do. We saw what he could do a little bit in week one. So those parts are nice, but the, the fear factor, and this is a savvy fan base and this is where they're 
I think there's a lot of worry about this team right now. Is they're able to say that was able to survive this Saturday. It might work this week, but what's that going to do against Wisconsin? If you can't control the trenches, if you're trying to play uh, fancy, you know, fancy pitch and catch on third and eight, uh, fancy boy. <laughs> was that what Marquis Stepp said last year or something? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was thinking of the Seinfeld reference too. Jerry You're a fancy and... boy. Yeah. 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 I just think, you know, you still in this league, you still got to live with an old line that can move some people. And uh, I am not convinced yet. I'm, I'll yeah. give them a shot, but I'm not convinced. Teddy Perhaska spoke on Monday and I think he's, BC, I think he's going to venture into that Jeremiah Searles category for you where he's just a uh, a really good interview from the offensive line perspective. Senator uh, Searles, yeah. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> I, I don't know if, you know, maybe he can be representative uh, for Hoska or, you know, Alderman or whatever sort of, mm-hmm. you know, nickname you want to give him because the alliteration won't work on that one. But he, he had a couple comments that I thought were super interesting. And and one of them, you know, is a, a really internal thing. He's really struggled both times starting games. And it, it's taken him a while to get into it from a pass protection standpoint. And he took all the blame for what happened to Casey Thompson on the strip sack. He said he overset the guy. They were in an unbalanced formation, which I want to get to BC on in a little bit, because I know Mark Whipple spoke about that today. Uh, but I, the interesting thing from Prohaska, he feels like the run blocking has been there from the start for him. Uh, at least mentally getting into it. But he also said that it's taken him a while to kind of mentally be there with the the pass blocking stuff and not not what he has to do. It's more so trusting that his legs and his knee are going to hold up. And that's kind of a shaky spot. I mean, they're, they're fortunate uh, that it hasn't really affected him. Uh, but I, I thought that was really unique. And then this is this is where I want to go to BC. Whipple talked about the unbalanced formation. Prohaska likes it because he says it's going to help him, you know, be a more versatile player. What what does the unbalanced thing do for Nebraska's offense? Why does why is this a, a core part of Mark Whipple's offensive coordinator philosophy? Something he's been doing for for decades, if I understood the quote right. Yeah, he didn't get too deep into it. He just said, I've been doing this since 1988, running that, and it gives the defensive um, coaches and players something to think about with their blitz packages, like that they have to reconsider certain things they might do blitzing wise, basically. Um, and so he didn't get all into, uh, we didn't get into chapter 14 on it. We basically got an introductory sentence of why he likes it. Um, he also just said, frankly, usually if a tackle is going to block better than a tight end. And I wonder if a little bit of it right now too, not that we won't see it when vocal, it comes back but is to make up for his loss at this moment, you know, Um, because those other guys, they're not as big as Vokalek and Vokalek guys have joked for years that Vokalek is like having another tackle, just a slightly smaller tackle on the field. So I wonder if some of that might not be used as much when he's around. And if it was something to sort of cover that spot on a few plays they had Um, Casey, that it's disappointing we didn't see what happened because Casey Thompson, I got from one of his comments that slipped out, I think, thought if he had two or three seconds on that play, they were going to burn him. Like he was under the impression they had him, they, they had the right play there. So that one of those could have, would have, should have things. 
Last thing with the offense here, Brunts, what do you think of the tempo that they've been at so far this year? It it definitely feels sped up compared to, to maybe the last couple years. Uh, do you think they can get this at an even more frenetic pace? I kind of like where they're at. I mean, I don't think you need to get crazy with it because, I mean, that, then that you start getting into the question, and I think we talked about this after the Northwestern game, of playing complementary football. And if your defense isn't going to get off the field quickly, if they're not going to force a ton of turnovers, then there there is a point where you can go too fast. And I think Nebraska has been at that point in the past. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, may, maybe you kind of dial it up a little bit in certain possessions, but I think you got to be really careful if you're Nebraska right now and, and, you know, playing all these games where you have such a thin margin for error to essentially beat yourself at that point. I mean, if, if you go a quick three and out, you're, you're going to feel that um, for at least a couple possessions as your defense kind of gets back on track. So it's been fine. I just, I question whether you want to go faster at this point, especially, you know, given what, what the state of the, uh, the, the black shirts is right now. What's Brunts, what's your biggest unanswered question about this team through two games now? Um, I mean, there's a lot of them. I think probably, I, I think whether they can kind of get things kind of, uh, go in the right direction on defense. I mean, this is a defense that in the past has struggled with the turnovers and, and, you know, forcing the issue in that way, but they've at least been around the ball enough. They've tackled relatively well. They've always gotten guys to the ball and, and at least made life difficult on opposing offenses. That hasn't happened with enough regularity this year. And I, I'm curious to see how that is going to stand up the next two weeks when you have more of a throwing team in, in Georgia Southern and then a team like Oklahoma that has superior athletes. BC, a uh, little bit different kind of question. I imagine you'll stay on the defensive side of the ball. But has there been a player or two that's kind of left you wanting so far through two weeks? Someone you still you'd like to see kind of emerge a little bit more? Um. I think Ty Robinson, and he said it himself, needs to be that guy now. Like he needs to, like he sort of has not popped off the screen so far. I would say in the first couple of weeks, and he talked about correcting some very specific technique things and stuff that he thinks might help him going forward. But I think he understands right now he's got to elevate his game to help this D line do so. You could pick you could pick like six or seven guys though on that defense where they got to do that um and would you like to pick another well i mean all the veteran guys i think i think reimer would say that about his game so far um you know henrich was out but even his first game before the injury i think he would say he's got to come back strong and ready to roll um O'Shawn Mathis, you know, like he's he did get that sack and he almost backed it up with another one, which I think would have been huge for him, like if he had had those back to backs. But um, that's a guy where you want to start seeing him, you know, get in there with a TFL sack every week or, you know, at least have an impact on getting that ball out quicker. So you can really go from level to level on the defense. Um, It's interesting. Back in fall camp. I don't know if it was just trying to pump positivity, but I really, I don't think so. I really think Eric Shenander was feeling pretty good about that group. Like I really, I really got the impression he thought going into the season, like they had taken a big step. And so I wonder what he's thinking now compared to like, you know, three weeks into August 
as far as what's missing that he thought might have been there and all that stuff. Because um, you guys were nodding your heads. I think you kind of got that impression too. Yeah. I, I, well, I thought the defense was going to be more aggressive than what they've been. We haven't seen that from the defensive front at all. Uh, we haven't, you know, they, they've had to drop a lot in coverage. Uh, they're still playing the the really safe kind of hang zones and and everything else, the the bubble coverage. So I thought it was going to be a more aggressive defense based on their own words, and they haven't looked aggressive really in the slightest. And with that comes the lack of uh, the lack of takeaway opportunities. I mean, they're they're fortunate in the sense that their their fumble luck has been pretty good for them so far. That's been an issue. They the ball's been on the turf. Uh, two times and they've got two fumble recoveries. So that's pretty good. But, um, you know, in order to be this aggressive, take the ball away from the other team defense that I thought that they had talked that that's what they wanted to be. Uh, they, it, it feels like there's, there's a lot more that needs to happen as yeah. we, as we finish things up. Oh, sorry. There no, go ahead. No, I'm good. Uh, as we finish things up here, uh, obviously a lot of Saturday was spent at the stadium, but still is the opening weekend of college football, Big Ten teams played, you know, whether it was Thursday, whether it was Friday, whether it was Saturday, uh, you, multiple, multiple different opportunities to watch Big Ten teams. Anything stand out of future Nebraska opponents uh, that you were able to get eyes on? Michael Brunts, I know you uh, you were riveted by that Indiana-Illinois game that features two teams on Nebraska's schedule. Yeah, I, Illinois' defense, I think, is going to be a little stingy. Um, I like what they're doing on that side of the ball. Uh, Purdue's offense, I, I think they've, they've got some guys that can cause some issues. Um, certainly the passing game is going to be good. I think the, the tight end, his name escapes me, uh, is going to be a, a, an issue for a lot of teams this year on Purdue's schedule. Um, I don't know, though. I, you know, it, it's there wasn't any team that I saw this weekend that, that was on Nebraska's schedule that my opinion dramatically shifted on. It, it, it feels like a lot of teams that, uh, you know, Nebraska is going to be in slug it out 15 round <laughs> matches with uh, Michigan might be the, the example that the, the counter example there, but um, you know, it, it just seems like a, a going to be a, a pretty, uh, pretty tight pack for most of the season, I think based on week one. Unless you're getting really far down the depth chart there. I'm pretty sure you're talking about Purdue tight end Payne Durham. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yes. The the starter, the probably the best tight end of the Big Ten. Yeah, and, and the producer running back, he's like been there since like Drew. King yeah. Like I'm pretty sure his the first time Nebraska played Purdue when they entered the Big Ten, he was like a sophomore. Well, yeah, his coach, his first coach was Daryl Hazel. So <laughs> um was know. he the guy that carried the pile for uh twenty yards that one time in the Riley era? Remember Sounds that? Sounds familiar. Could be. <laughs> There's there's so many Purdue players that had their best career game in the Mike Riley era that you know it's hard to pick one. I think I think King might have had some freshman year classes with Neil Armstrong there at Purdue. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, wow, <laughs> wow. Uh, sorry, King Daru, if you're listening to this. I don't know why you are, but yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's his fault. You made it a long time. Uh, as any, long as your career. Any other uh, closing thoughts as we finish up yet another edition of the Husker 24/7 podcast? No. Nothing. <laughs> they got nothing. They're all talked out. October but, uh, October 1st through the 15th, we th- could have said that before the season. It was going to be like the stretch of all stretches. And uh, 
those, I mean, that's your, you're talking your Indiana, your Rutgers, you got a nice win over Boston college. Um, Purdue. I thought Purdue looked pretty good. I know they lost the game, but I thought that was actually, I know Penn state was getting knocked by their own fan base for that win a little bit. I just be like, I'd take that win and run on the road opening week by four. I wouldn't care, but uh, maybe that's, I'm covering a different team than they are. So uh, I have a different outlook on thing these days. Well, you're also watching a different team than the Penn State performance, too. So there's there's that aspect as well. All right. Before we can get there, though, first, Nebraska will take on Georgia Southern. We'll get you prepared for that with a Husker 24-7 Heidcast that'll be coming up later this week. We've already got our guests lined up. It'll be great. That'll be on Thursday. And then, of course, the game Saturday. And we will have another Sunday side session breaking everything down as well on Sunday. Be sure to listen to all those. Be sure to get to Husker247.com. Check out everything that's up on the site. Uh, There'll be some recruiting going up. There's a big high school game this Friday. I will be at Bellevue West takes on Omaha West side. Uh, Still plenty going on in recruiting as well. So check that out. And, you know, if you catch this on Tuesday, it's going to be your last opportunity. You're going to want to dive into a great offer going on at 24-7 Sports. Get signed up with Husker 24-7, one of the best offers that you are going to find for a subscription. So be sure to check that out. For Michael Brunsford, Brian Christopherson, I'm Mike Schaefer. We are Husker 24-7, and we'll catch you next time.